0: Man, early, early darkness these days. Late fall, time for late harvests and gratitude and reflection and canning and cooking and processing and enjoying time with the fam. uh, it's nice to get some, I wouldn't even say slow down yet, because we're not there yet on the farm. But it's it's a change in the rhythm. It's dark early light a little later still getting a lot of stuff done but also starting to starting to hunker down a little more play some cribbage in the evening <laughs> we've been doing a lot of a lot of cooking and processing and canning and things on the farm we'll talk about talk a bit about that during the show you know again talk about gratitude and reflection this is a, a time for that time for family time for kind of hunkering down <laughs> been a long year been a lot of ups and downs for the community and and for all of us and and I think uh, it's a good time to to kind of step back and count those blessings good time to focus on doing more with less that's what we're that's that's our motto on the farm right now and uh, just really trying to figure out how we can hone our skills and and how we can make more productivity happen and it's you know it's it's nice this year to get some early rains I'll tell you really changed everything. I've been thinking a lot about the fact that you know, last year, two years ago, uh, we didn't really get rains till Thanksgiving. Two years ago we got the first real storm was snowstorm, so it froze pipes and stuff because there wasn't enough water from the spring to to leave the water on overnight. So, uh, nice to see the landscape so moist, soft, green, so lush. Uh, That's been really important for, for me, for my own personal mental health. Um, just to be able to go into, into the cool, moist season and, and have that water to be able to plant. You know, all fall, we did one small round of brassicas, cabbages, and cauliflowers and such, but we didn't really plant a whole lot of fall crops this year because we just didn't have the water for it. And so once those rains came, it was kind of like uh, all of a sudden it was go time. And so over the last few weeks, we've been prepping and planting, prepping and planting, Um, and so at a time when usually I, you know, I'd kind of be winding things down, we, have still been geared up pretty hard and, and that, that's been tricky. You know, it's that time of year where you start to, you feel the burnout, you feel the the tiredness of a long season. And, uh, so it's, you know, like I say, it's been a lot of work, but, but it's also, it, it feels exciting to me. I got more hoop space this winter than I've ever had to work with before. Last year in, in January we built two new tunnels for food production, and uh, we put up a couple new Caterpillar tunnels for depths that are now under food production. So right now I got what four I got seven tunnels with with brassica and salad mixes and turnips and beets and radishes and all kind of things planted in them. And so most of the stuff's going to be slow. Like I said, we didn't get it going until late. Uh, most of it got planted late October, early November. Still got some stuff to plant, so it's it's gonna be a bit before we really get get to romping again. But man, come January, we're gonna be. I, I think we're gonna have a lot of produce. Be back at market full steam. Um, I think we'll kick the CSA off earlier this year than we have in a few years. So that feels good, you know. In a, in a time when there's a lot of upheaval in the cannabis market and, you know, kind of just a. It, things feel uncertain. I really have been looking to to food production and to sowing the seeds and and tending the soil and really trying to to be grounded in that and and again to you know our, like I said our motto right now is to do more with less figuring out how to sow more cover crops and sow more edible cover crops. I'm gonna talk a bit about that later in the show and and just really try to focus on. Uh, things that I can do with my time that will either save money or help me spend less money or earn some money. And so doing a lot of like, for instance, going and talking to people who have apple trees, who have, you know, apple drops on the ground and gathering up apple drops and pear drops. And I got a couple of boxes of squishy persimmons and just gathering up uh, what would be, you know, fruit that's just rotting. And Gathering that up for pig food, and I tell you, it's like pigs. Watching pigs eat apples is one of my favorite things. Um, So gathering up, you know, fruit that that would otherwise go to waste. Uh, Gathering up acorns. This was a really good acorn year, which is nice in terms of, you know, same thing. Pigs love acorns, and so apples and acorns is that's a that's a well-fed pig. That's a tasty pig. (laughs) Uh, And so you know, like I say, this this idea, I've, I've been thinking a lot about animal forage about trying to be able to produce and gather more of the forage that's needed because the reality of it is like grain prices for animals are up 30 percent and and prices everywhere for everything are going up you know and so I just am really focused on on trying to figure out how I can do more things myself and um and also you know things that my friends are doing that I can buy from them and that you know we can support each other and and kind of continue to build and thrive in this this magical place that we find ourselves in this community here. So, I uh, you know I was going to talk a little bit about fertility. Uh it's definitely cover crop time, you know, the the best time to sow it was back in August or September. <laughs> but uh and I I like I said I'm still sowing right now. I'm you know, we're doing the bulk of our cover crop in the last week, this week, a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, we did manage to get a few rows in, in in August and September, and that stuff looks super lush right now. It's beautiful. Uh, but there's there's no bad time to sow cover crop. And so what I, you know, my methodology is, um, it, it, it kind of varies depending upon what my soil type is. Everything we do is, for the, I mean, for the most part, we've got a few pots scattered here and there, but for the most part, everything's in the ground. Um, and so, I, you know, I'm working with native soils in places where the the clay is pretty heavy. I'm, I'm utilizing the, the organic soil builder mix. Sometimes I might add in some daikon or something to break up some soil more. But the, the OSB is just, that's like step one, uh, and it's just a basic uh, blend. It's got bell beans, uh, field peas, and, and oats in it. And then we also add mustard for the bees, mustard seed, because the, the mustard will grow up and flower you know, in February when there isn't much nectar flow, so it's good for the bees. And also, we harvest it for market and stuff, so that's that's helpful too. So, like I said, that organic soil builder, it's uh, the company is La Ballisters. Uh, you can get it at WeatherTop. You can get it Meadow has it at the feed store, um, and and that's pretty basic. You know, you can get a fifty pound sack of seed for not too much. I like to sow it fairly thick, like you know, I, like I usually for a for a fifty foot bed, I'll probably use maybe a third of a fifty pound bag. So you know, I'll get three fifty foot beds out of. Um, out of a out of one fifty pound bag, and that's that's like a you know kind of a regular thirty inch bed top. If you're talking about some of those wider terraces, like my wider cannabis terraces, I'll use closer to a half bag <coughs> half bag of seed for fifty feet. So um, you know, like I said, I like to sow it a little thick. I tend to see a fair amount of birds coming in, losing some seed, and and I just I always want to have a thick, rich, vibrant stand of cover crop. I you know I I don't I'd rather avoid sparseness um but uh, you know i'm also kind of reflecting on that this year in terms of like the more seed i use the more it costs and and trying to kind of find the sweet spot there and not go quite so hard with the sowing um, but so like i say organic soil builder uh, you you really if you ideally you're going to inoculate it there's a there's a legume inoculant that that helps the legumes form mycorrhizal associations which will help them pull nitrogen out of the atmosphere. That's one of your main purposes with a with a legume element to the cover crop is that they're going to pull nitrogen out of the atmosphere, fix it in the soil. When those roots decompose after you cut the plants, they're going to provide that nitrogen as a, a plant-available form for your next crop. So you you want to have some sort of a legume component. Like I said, we usually use the the field peas and the bell beans in the organic soil builder mix. And then the other component is the oats, which is a... It's a grass, fast growing, it'll sop up extra nitrogen really well, uh, and it makes a lot of biomass, both above ground and below ground, so it's the, that root system is going gonna, is gonna to build soil porosity, it's going to build micro uh, sorry organic matter in the soil, it's going to feed the microbes in the soil, and then when you cut it, that those roots are going to break down and, and you're going to get more porosity, you're going to get better filtration of water and infiltration of water. Um, and better nutrient holding capacity with the, with the increase in organic matter. So the oats are really great for building soil, but because they're grass, they're, they're not, you know, obviously they're not particularly edible unless you're making like oat, uh, oat grass juice or something. So I've been really playing around with, uh, making edible cover crops. And so using the, the field peas as a base and then, uh, adding in the mustard like I said for the bees and because the, the mustard's nice and edible it's a good cooking green. And then I've been adding in just all the old brassica seed, all the leftover seed from last year, all the different things, and and really trying to build <coughs> excuse me, build some potential for some, uh, some some edible cover crops that I can that I can kind of harvest it, with the, with the greens harvest and pick them fast. Cause as it's been in the past, like the pea shoots are edible, the bell beans are edible, the mustard's edible. And so I've kind of gone through with the knife and like just hand cut and harvested into a tub. And, you know, it's great if I'm just picking something for dinner or whatever, but if I'm actually picking for market, it's, it's really slow and tedious. And so, so then with the, and so we have a, what's called a mechanical greens harvester basically a basket with a with a rotating blade and a and some like swinging it looks like one of those car wash things swinging ropes that spins the the greens back into the basket after the blade cuts them and and so I can move pretty fast down the row I can harvest a lot of a lot of greens really fast but it picks everything right and so if there's oats in the mix I'm also picking oats and so what we were doing the last couple of years is is harvesting with the greens harvester and then picking out all the oats um, and, and trying to pick out any weeds and, and it was again, just super tedious and time consuming. And so it meant that the, the cost per unit in terms of a bag of, bag of these greens was, was higher than I would have liked. So the idea being with the, with the edible cover crop, if I, if they if I don't have the oats in the blend, because, you know, and I, like I said, I only do this with beds that the soil is really well-developed, where there's already a lot of organic matter, there's great tilt, there's really nice porosity, and so that that I'm not worried about, you know, I'm less worried at this point about building the soil than I am about just maintaining it, and so um, with, and, and like I said, I mix it in chard and radish and Uh, daikon and just whatever leftover seeds i have lots of kales lots of mustards uh, mizuna that kind of stuff along with the field peas. and the idea is that then i'll be able to just run the greens harvester down it pick a lot of really nice cooking greens for for that early spring when you know when there isn't a whole lot coming in yet and when traditionally i've really struggled to to pull together a good market table and then be able to bring them at market to market at a lower cost than I would have otherwise with the, the additional labor that's required to, to pick out all the, all the oats and such. So you know we'll see how it plays out. You always that's one of the things I love about farming. Is it's just always experimentation and trying things out and playing around with things and been kind of diving into cover crops a bit and and so. Talked a bit about the different kinds of seeds, and now I kind of want to get into the specifics of of actually sowing the cover crop. Um, You know, one of the things that for me is very, very important is not to have bare soil at the end of the year. And and, uh, to be honest, all the way through the season. Like, we mulch all of our beds except for beds that are under rapid rotation salad mix because mulching and direct seeding salad doesn't... they don't go hand in hand. But so in general... Uh, when i get to the end of the season there's mulch left from the summer uh and that's going to make a really nice blanket for the cover crop seed and so the 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 methodology that's been pretty effective for me over the last few years is i just broadcast the seed on top of the mulch and then i go through with a rake and i just kind of scrape and ratchet and scrape and rake and and it it, i make sure that i get good soil contact with the cover crop seed and that the mulch is kind of spread evenly over the top So that like the birds come through, they can't see the seed. It's not directly on the surface. There isn't new mulch because what I I found is like if I put down new mulch when I sow cover crop seed, oh boy, the birds go nuts. It's like they can, you know, they're flying around and they're like, oh, look at that new mulch. Uh, So like I said, I'm always trying to like have my mulch down from the summer for water conservation over the course of the year. It's still there. Whatever crops, you know, whether it's tomatoes or whether it's cannabis or uh, squash, you know, whatever. Those crops come out and then the cover crop seed gets broadcast and then I rake it into the soil a little bit. And, um, it, you know, the, the like I said earlier, the best way to do it is to sow it in August or September. And one of the things that I find is like, you know, we went through and it's a little more labor intensive because you kind of got to do it by hand. You can't really use the rake if there's still a crop in the bed. But if I under-sow you know, I I went through and just kind of scratched it into the soil. Like I just, I kind of like move along the row on my, uh, you know, on my knees or on my haunches, and I and I'm just kind of sprinkling the seed in, and I'm kind of scratching it into the top surface with the, you know, under so it gets under the mulch. Uh, and I have those beds on irrigation during the summer. That cover crop is going to germinate, and it's going to come up underneath those crops. And so, for instance, for tomatoes, it doesn't matter. It can the cover crop can get as tall as it wants. The tomatoes are much taller anyway. Um, and it works out really great with summer squash it's interesting like what I find is that right about the time the squash get killed by the frost and you know obviously frost is a lot earlier down here in the valley than it is up on the hill but usually sometime in October or November um, there'll be a frost that'll, or, that'll kill the squash or that the squash will just start to decline anyway if we don't you know look last year we didn't get frost till almost early December late November um. But the, the idea being that the, the cover crop is just going to start doing its thing, it's going to come up, uh, it'll utilize the, the irrigation water, you know, if you, if you don't have enough like this year, we just didn't really have enough water, so uh, we didn't sow much cover crop early. But if you got enough water that you're still irrigating things and there's some extra nutrients, the cover crop's going to soak it all up, it's going to grow this rich, vibrant stand of forage that you can make use of during the winter for feeding animals. Um, or you can make fermented plant juices out of it. There's a, you can make compost. There's a lot of different things you can do with it. Um, and so the idea being the earlier that you can get it going, the better. Um, but also, it's, you know, I'm still sowing right now. We're going to try and finish up uh, this weekend or early next week. we still got tomatoes and stuff out that, that are still producing. And so, you know, I haven't quite got everything sown yet. But, and you can also sow it in January, you can sow it in February, you know, especially, you know, if you're doing beds of, if you've got summer summer crop beds or you've got clone beds that aren't going to get planted till June, you can sow cover crop January, February, March, somewhere in there. Um, so it's basically, it's never too late. You know, if you're going to get some germination and some growth, it's it's pretty worth it. You're going to see significant change in your soil over time. Um, and, and so, like I say, the main thing, get that soil contact so the seed can start to germinate. Uh, especially you know obviously you need some moisture you're like this you just got to get it into contact with the soil the soil is good and moist mulch is helpful but if it's too thick of a layer of mulch and the seeds can't germinate through it then obviously you know it's, it's going to be a waste of seed um so just just enough mulch to cover the soil surface you know not like a thick thick blanket uh and what i tend to do is i'll have i'll have leave the extra mulch you know on the low side of the terrace or the low side of the bed and then I can come back later and fill in bare spots as the weather moves along, as needed. And what you'll see is the, in general, the oats are going to germinate fast. They're going to come up first. So right now, you know, most of my beds look in the ones that we did the the organic soil builder, and it just look like um, it looks like there's just a carpet of grass coming up. Uh, and then the peas will come up, and the beans will come up a little later. The bigger seeds are slower to germinate. And the, the oats also provide a nice framework for the beans and the peas to climb up. And so you get this this vibrant growth. And like I say, you can harvest it. Like I just take a hand scythe out there in the morning and I harvest a nice big tub, feed it to the pigs, feed it to the chickens, feed it to the rabbits. Everybody's happy about it. Um, and then, you know, there's so that's, that's essentially we're talking annual uh, sowings of annual plants. They You know, it doesn't really, it's not going to winter kill. It like we don't get... We don't get cold enough here for it to, to frost kill really the frost the hard freezes will damage it here and there but for the most part it'll just keep romping along and then in the spring uh there's a few different methodologies you know we usually mow it we'll mow it we'll put down we'll mow it we'll broad fork it we'll put down some and amendments and then we'll run the power har over it and that gets make sure that the everything gets real good soil contact all the the organic matter that got chopped from the cover crop can start to decompose. And we put uh, silage tarp, old depth tarps down over the top of it for three weeks to speed up that decomposition, heat things up under there, give the soil life the chance to really come up to the surface and pull all that organic matter down and get it get it broken down and ready for planting. You can also just crimp it. I've seen people, rather than mowing it, uh, use a, a T-post laid flat with a couple of uh with a rope on each side so you hold the rope and you step on the t-post and two people just go down the row squishing the you know breaking the stems of the cover crop and smashing it down uh and then you know compost over the top of that that'll work that's a nice no-till methodology it takes a little more time uh you know i have a little more time for breakdown but um and, and then also you know you can cut especially when i need it to happen real fast or i need a fine seed bed you can cut the cover crop at the soil surface and then you can run, you know, if you're running a a, a tiller or you're running a, a power harrow or you're just forking it in, you know, getting that green biomass off the surface, that'll get, you know, you could use that for forage. You could use that to make compost piles or you can incorporate it back into the soil. So lots of options there. And obviously, you know, your cover crop is going to soak up your leftover nutrients and turn them back into nutrients that you can use again next year it's going to prevent erosion it's going to provide forage and habitat for soil life and for uh, birds and animals coming through your garden and it's also going to be you know it's available for use for making fertility for uh, feeding to animals there's a lot of lot of uses for it so it's pretty much a win all the way around there's no drawbacks that i can see um, with the one possible one being that you want to make sure you give it enough time to break down before you need to plant, so you got to be a little ahead of the game there. Uh, so that's that's kind of my roundup on cover crop, <laughs> and like I say, it fits it fits really really nicely into the winter picture, especially if you're doing some edible cover crops or. You know, you got some hoops, and you're planting some winter vegetables and stuff. Just being able to harvest those pea shoots and those bell bean shoots, those are really nice. Like I say, adding in the mustard or sowing in some old vet, some brassica seed or some, some you know lettuce or well lettuce. I don't really do so much to be honest because it's 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 a different tenderness capacity than the cooking greens. Uh, but you could do lettuce. You know, if you, that would be an option. Um, but I'm trying to mow it with the with the greens harvester and, and use it for a cooking greens mix. So I focus more on mustards, brassica, not so much heading brassica, but leafy brassica, kale, collards, chard, uh, chard's not brassica, sorry, but kale, collards, also chard, which is in the beet family, obviously. Um, sometimes I'll sow old, old beet seed, and you know if they make a tuber, that's great. And if they don't, I can just pick the greens. So lots of lots of options for winter farming. That's one of the things that... I think is really important. and And for me, it was kind of a big shift from thinking of cover crop as like uh, as not farming for for productive crops as thinking it is it as only farming for the soil. And really making this shift to being able to say like, wow, i can I can do both. I can build soil, I can fix nitrogen, I can harvest food crops. and And anytime you can stack those functions, that's where your farm organism is really going to thrive, where your people are going to thrive, where uh, it's going to you're going to be able to figure out how to make it work, and so that's that's kind of one of the central focuses of, of life on the farm for me is trying to figure out how can I get two birds stoned at once, uh, and and it's good, you know, it's it's a nice um, what's the word, uh, it's a it's a guide guidepost or a signpost for me, you know, it's kind of one of those. Um, it's a it's a north star. It's a way of looking at the world and saying like, okay, you know, this is what I'm doing. Uh, are there ways that I can add things to this, or ways that I can double this up, or make it more productive, or more efficient, or more capable? And uh, and all of those, you know, those are that's how you you refine the process, the process, you sharpen the blade, so to speak, and and you get better at what you do. You know, I've been thinking a lot about they say ten thousand hours makes an artist, and I you know I think it's the same for for farming and. To really reach a point, you know, now I'm about to be headed into, who? 12th season, 13th season doing CSA, something like that, starting to lose count already. <laughs> and, uh, and just really refining and, and starting to figure out, like, having a feeling of, like, this is how I do things. And, and you know, that's going to change next year. It'll change every year. And, but then but, and it'll evolve. But just to feel that sort of comfort level with it is, is nice. You know, right now, for instance, I've got trays of beets and scallions that are about to get planted out in the hoop houses. I've got a bunch of green garlic. I'm still going to plant, and green garlic is different from regular garlic in that you're going to harvest it early while it's still green. Use it for a nice, flavorful early spring addition to the market table and to the CSA. Um, still got actually some beds. We're going to still plant some garlic. You know, we, we planted our full complement, but we got some good seed left, and so I'm still going to plant some garlic. Um, I got a lot of brassica in. Got a lot of, of cauliflowers, cabbages, uh, broccoli, romanesco, Asian greens, cooking greens, kales and collars and such. Uh, winter, you know, salad turnips, uh, radishes, beets. All those, all those root crops are really, really nice. And and you know, the thing is, it's tricky right now. Like sowing stuff outside is tricky, and transplanting stuff outside is tricky. It's it's a combination of the. The big fluctuations in temperature, the freezes, the winds. The, the wind, honestly, is like one of the hardest things I think for plants in the winter, that desiccating wind. So, this is not what I'm getting is this is not a particularly good time to plant things outside, either to transplant them outside or to sow them. But under either floating row cover or a hoop tunnel, you know, either a low tunnel or a high tunnel. Um, like I say, we do various, you know, uh, from from half inch PVC if you're down here in the valley floor, or a half inch metal conduit if you're up on high for the snow load, but just a ten foot stick, a half inch metal conduit bent into hoops, and then I'll run a baling wire purlin, you know, and that'll cover a that'll cover a terrace that covers the the forty two inch bed top cannabis terraces uh, pretty admirably. And then I'll buy the fourteen foot Rime. I usually I, I like to buy the frost blanket. Uh, and, and Rime's a brand. Agribon's a brand. Call it floating row Those are various different. Terminologies, but the, I like to buy the fourteen foot, um, the the thirty weight, the thicker stuff. That's it's they call it a frost blanket instead of just the floating row cover because it's durable, it's thick, and stout. It'll hold up the snow, uh, and I can use it for you know two, three, five seasons if I'm careful with it. So, um, and so that's a nice way of making a low tunnel that'll that that you can do stuff with over an individual bed if you don't have hoops, and and you just you know you need that shelter. It's partially the partially the protection from the frost and the, and the direct, you know, the freezing winds and the cold. And and it's also just that, that sheltered microclimate and, and that, you know, the, the, like I say, the less temperature variation because it'll stay a little warmer on the cold nights. Um, and then, and it also gets warmer during the daytime. And so you, you get uh, higher daytime temps than you would otherwise. And it makes a big difference, you know, and, and from... Early to mid December until getting towards the end of January, like stuff doesn't really grow much. It'll grow a little bit, but it, it doesn't really grow much. Uh, and so, you know, having it in the hoop house helps it to mark time. It's not getting eaten by the birds or the, the quail or whatever, and it's, it's not getting beat up by the wind and the rain and the snow and the, and the ice and such. So, you know, we actually, like I say, I'm still planting. I've got a round of cabbages and cauliflowers and stuff that are in three inches right now. They just got up, potted. So they're going to get planted out in the hoops in probably two weeks or three weeks. Um, like I say, the beets are going to go out this week. The scallions are going to go, well, probably this weekend or early next week since we're taking a little holiday time. But, you know, these these things are going in in the next few days. And and so I we never really stop planting in the hoops in the winter. And, and and the other nice thing about the hoops is I still got, you know, we got three rows of hot peppers, 350 foot rows of hot peppers, 250 foot rows of tomatoes, 250 foot rows of sweet peppers. So there's, you know, two, four, seven rows um, that are still under summer crops that at some point in the next few weeks, those are going to come out and go on to winter crops. and And I think that's one of the things that I'm really kind of playing around with right now is trying to decide when to pull the trigger on tearing something out and replanting it and it's partially a function of like if you have extra space hey you can let stuff linger on you can you know i mean and, and we've still been i mean we've been picking a lot of tomatoes still a lot of peppers so it's I, like I, they haven't the crops haven't gone past their usefulness they're still been cranking but you also get to a point where you start to say like well i'm going to need to start ramping up my salad mix production springtime's going to be coming Uh, and, and, you know, usually mother nature will make the decision for you and she'll send a hard freeze and frost kill all those, those things, even if they are in the hoops and then they're dead and you rip them out anyway. Um, but if that doesn't happen, then you're kind of trying to make this decision of when, when do they need to come out? And right now I'm kind of like, I got one row of tomatoes that I've been kind of eyeballing like, I think your time is about up because I've got other things that I want to sow. i got another succession of greens to go in. Um, and then also, interestingly enough, we did some cabbages in one of the hoops, and we did the same. Like, I planted the ones in the hoops one day, and then I think two or three days later, like not very long, I planted the ones outside. And the ones in the hoops are they're huge. The heads are done. They're chunky. Like, I'm going to start harvesting them next week. And the ones outside are about half the size, and they're probably three weeks out at least. So it's it's really interesting to see how much of a difference, um, uh, you know, shoulder season growing, both early spring and late fall like, and, and into the winter. Like, it's, it's crazy what a difference it makes. And so this first round of cabbages is going to come out. These summer crops are going to come out. We're going to be replanting. We, sow a, we do some lettuce mix. We use the Encore mix from Johnny's, which is, which is pretty nice. Uh, but mostly anymore, I've been doing this Tokyo Bacana and Mizuna mix. And the Mizuna is like a nice purple mustard. It's, in the in, in the warm season, it gets real spicy. But in the off-season right like, now, it's it's pretty mild and, and pretty sweet and nice. Not too spicy. Uh, and Tokyo Bacana is, is kind of like, it's a, it's just a real tender Asian green that's pretty lettuce-like. And so that's actually my preferred salad mix. I like the flavor better. I like the hardiness of it. And it grows really fast. So it's it's really, really nice. Um, and it has less of the the problems that let you know lettuce can have some trouble with downy mildew and stuff like that, and I don't really see that with the Tokyo Makana much. So, been kind of playing around with that. Waiting on my first round of salad turnips. They're still pretty small, but those are those are definitely my new favorite thing. I was really really doing well with them this spring. We're growing a lot of them, and, and people really seem to enjoy them. I sure do. the The Hakurai salad turnip. Those are those are just great. Uh, it's a H A K U R E I hakurei. Hakari. Those are those are just a great varietal for, for just quick, easy growing. You can sow them fairly thick, and then you just thin them as they get bigger, and so they just keep on producing more and more. And you just keep thinning them out each week. Start eating the little salad ones at first, and then the golf ball ones, and then the, you know, I've seen them get as big as a baseball. They got real big, and they were still super tender and mild and sweet. Not like you know, I think turnip usually, and I think kind of hardy and bitter and these guys are they're more like a white radish almost but then but not real spicy either so that's not the greatest comparison but they're just they're just super mild and nice um you know like i say salad mixes any kind of salad mixes the and this is a great time of year for for sowing the asian greens undercover you know the uh Choy's and and all the all the various choy's the bok choy the win-win choy the joy choy the red choy <laughs> uh, the tat soy, I really really like the tat soy that's that's an, it's kind of like um, kind of like Chinese spinach uh, in my head at least um, so sowing some arugulas uh, that's getting some of those nice spicy flavor mixes coming in pretty soon and and just really enjoying that that process of winter crops you know it's much there's there's fewer pests there's fewer weeds, everything's a little slower, the pace is more mellow. still got to irrigate, which can be weird. Like if you're getting, you know, there's times where it's like there's snow on the ground outside, so I can't really water, but there's, but it's warm and dry inside the hoop. So that, that gets a little tricky sometimes. You got to definitely pay attention to that. Uh, But overall, it's, it's not too bad and you get, get a little better at it every year lot of interplanting. Like we just, we sowed a row of peas and then I'm going to do scallions all the way down the shoulder of the row. And, um, with winter growing, even more so than summer growing, you want to be careful, you know, if your beds are on the North South axis, um, that, that Western side is going to do a little, you know, I'll tend to plant if i got something that's going to be tall, like with the peas, I'll do the peas on the Eastern side of the bed and do the, the scallions on the western side of the bed because they're going to get a little more sun that way uh and if you're on the if your beds are on the east west axis like planting on the north side of a row behind something taller in the winter is is really going to work out poorly so you know if you got something in a bed that's going to be shorter plant that on the south side um and and the tower thing on the north side of the bed uh let's see what other winter winter hitters (laughs) um you know then the other aspect of it is is just like i say um the the preservation process and like growing things that i'm going to store that i'm going to keep that i'm going to be able, you know those cabbages in the hoop are going to come out and turn into sauerkraut pretty quick and um kind of parlay that into talking about preserving and, and making nutrients for next year uh don't know uh you know if you if you go fishing yourself or you know somebody that goes fishing? See if you can get them, bring you back, or, or bring yourself back a bucket of heads and guts and tails and things. Uh, the, a lot of time this stuff gets thrown away, and and you know I think everybody's pretty familiar with the old fishy motion jugs from the old days, and they're super super stinky. uh, but you can make your own fish aminos. And, and to be honest, it's a lot less stinky than I thought it was going to be. You know, I would have figured, you know, I kind of figured that like, well, if I'm making homemade fish emulsion, it'd probably be super stinky. Uh, but it's not actually, I've been really surprised with how mild the smell actually is. And so I get a bucket of fish heads, fish tails, guts and such. Um, and you know, I want approximate weight. So if I got Give or take 30 pounds of fish heads and such. I want 30 pounds of sugar. You know, give or take, you know, one-to-one ratio. Um, and uh, and I got an old cooler. Everybody got an old cooler sitting around all funky. Um, and I fill it up, you know, and I do a layer. So I do a layer of fish heads and such, layer of sugar, layer of fish heads, layer of sugar. And then once it's full, I put a nice sugar cap on it so that it's got a little bit of sugar on top. Uh, and then I cover it up. And i'll put the lid on it and i use i just cut pieces of old strap like uh like old tie downs i'll cut a few pieces and i'll screw one end into the lid and one end into the body of the cooler so that it's it, it can't open at all and uh, that's key if, especially if you you know you don't want your dog to get in there or something. it gets kind of funky uh and then i'm just put it away for 6 months you want to give it about 6 months let the let the sugars start to break everything down and and uh and one of the key things is that the, little, the drain plug at the bottom of the cooler, A, you want that to work correctly. You know, you need to have a plug and you want to be able to take the plug out. And B, you want to put a screen on the inside of it, a little piece of metal screen to stop it from getting clogged. And then you wait six months and you put that cooler up on top of something with a bucket underneath it, a jug underneath it, and you open up that uh, uh, drain plug and you got fish aminos. You got fish emulsion come out, and it's, you know, like I say, I mean, it smells like fish, but like, the, I mean, the fish emulsion back in the day was like, whoa, you got a few drops on that, and everybody knows uh, <laughs> what you're up to, uh, and, and this stuff's not too bad, it's it's pretty mild, and it's it's good stuff, so you can, you know, sugar's fairly cheap, um, we buy the 10-pound sacks, the organic sacks from Costco, and it's, it's not real bad, it's not real expensive, and and you can make a really super high quality fertilizer with it same thing you know so we'll do a fish call that a uh ffa or fermented fish aminos um we'll do ffj's which fermented fruit juices uh you know i did we did zucchini we did pumpkin we do apple uh and then also fpj fermented plant juices and so for instance uh, the last sweepings of the cannabis when they're starting to bud up, you know, because kind of the rule, of the you know, the rule of thumb with plants is like if you can feed a plant back to itself in the light in the point in the life cycle at which it was, you're gonna have really good results. And so, for instance, if you're you know the the sweepings from the, the young cannabis plants when you're it, you're doing the initial leafing and suckering, that'll make a great FPJ for. And same thing, you know, one part uh, uh, leaf matter, one part sugar uh put it in a bucket ideally like get it early in the morning while the dew is still on it Um, and that'll make a great vegetative uh nutrient fertilizer do it in later on in the season when it's started to bud up and that's going to make a really great uh flowering fertilizer same thing you can you know the the pumpkins and the zucchinis and stuff is going to things you know fermented fruit juices are going to encourage fruiting in the plant so you can you can target your fertility production towards the part of the life cycle of the plant that it's in Um, and you can use it for vegetable fertilizer you can use it for cannabis fertilizer it works great for all kinds of things you want to dilute it quite a bit you know they say 500 to 1 you can you can up the strength a little bit as time goes on but you want to be careful with it you can definitely overdo it um, there's a lot of information, you know, if you check out uh, uh, Joey Berger, the Humboldt local, or uh, Wendy Cornberg, of this, like they both have done a lot more work on this. They're they're um, much more in the expertise. Like I'm not, I'm kind of a, I'm definitely an amateur with this process, but we've been making a lot of different fertility, you know, gallons upon gallons, doing five gallon jugs and five gallon buckets, and you know, I think last year we probably made fifty gallons of FPJ and FFJ. Right now I got. Uh, easily 100 gallons going of various different things, cannabis FPJs and uh, nettle and horsetail and comfrey FPJ and apple and pumpkin and zucchini FFJs and fresh cooler of, of fish aminos that I just filled up today, fish heads and sugar. and So, you know, like I say, I, really in this time and place in which we're seeing a lot of changes in the economic realities of the community, Trying to produce as much fertility as we can for ourselves, get away from buying bottled stuff from companies that, you know, maybe it's good, maybe it's not. Do you know? It's hard to know um, if we're not seeing it produce what's really in it, um, and get down more towards doing it for ourselves. Uh, so that's. That's the farm perspective, and then you know in terms of the the food perspective, like I said earlier, we've been making some kraut, we've making some kimchi as soon as these Chinese cabbages start coming in next week or the week after. Um, we've been you know we slaughtered pig earlier this year and had all the all the fat and stuff put away in the freezer, so we just now that it's cooled off at night and stuff, we got that out and rendered up the lard and made a whole bunch of jars of lard and been doing all kind of different you know, drying of peppers. And I've been really thinking a lot because I got some just basic drying stuff and and we're off grid. So I don't have a, can't really run a, a food dehydrator too well. So I've been thinking a lot about, you know, building myself one of those one of those drying racks with the with the glass on the top and the different racks in it and stuff and really starting to do more drying of fruit, more drying of vegetables. Like I don't really do a whole lot of that. We do a lot of freezing, do a lot of canning. Pops just crushes the tomato sauces and ketchups and all the, all the different tomato products and we do, you know, applesauces and things like that. But really been thinking a lot about doing more drying of, of foods and And also utilizing the freezer in different ways, like this year, as when we started getting the cool weather, I picked a big big tub of pesto sorry, basil, and we made a big old batch of pesto um, and same thing with like chicken stocks and and uh, bone broths and such, really just trying to make big batches and preserve them for later and and make use of them and sell them at the farm stand and be able to share them with the community and and eat them myself. so you know I guess the kind of the The summation (laughs) is build soil, grow food, build community, store and save food, do more with less, be more productive with the land and, and be able to grow more things, sequester more carbon, make more compost. These are all the things like I'm saying as much for myself as anything else I'm wanting to do plant more comfrey <laughs> uh, you know have more forage have more animals be able to take care of them provide them with yeah i have thinking a lot been thinking a lot about sugar beets and uh, uh, forage turnips some of these some of these crops you know that, that traditionally pumpkins zucchini some of these things that got that were grown in part for for human food but as much or more for for animal food we had just tremendous success this year feeding zucchinis to pigs, like, and, and cucumbers, too, man. Like, watching pigs eat cucumbers, any any of those cucumbers, pumpkins, melons, squash, all that stuff, pigs are super excited about. Same thing with chickens. Chickens love all that stuff, too. And um, and so, you you know, you're just supplementing what you can bring to the animal. Same thing, like, the cover crop makes such an abundant source of forage in the winter, and, you know, you can either bring the animals to the place where the cover crop is or you can cut the cover crop and bring it to the animals and either one of them works out really great so this is a time of year for for gratitude for family for meals and cooking and enjoying and 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 honoring the the sacredness of life and and lives lived both human and animal and plant and Loving the land and loving each other. As always, it's a joy to have the opportunity to be here with you. Much love. Great success. success, 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 success. The Farm and Reefer Report is archived with help from Mika Ferretta. Technical support provided by Sean Johnson at C3 Innovates. And music is performed by Joe Vandermeer. Archived episodes can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Music. Much love, y'all.